0: Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host,
1: Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane. Hello, Jen. How you doing?
0: I'm good. You know, hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> surviving on a little less sleep than usual because I think my, my daughter is starting to teethe. Oh, Yeah. You're you right around there. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we are uh, we're surviving. Tag teaming it, my husband and I, we'll be okay. <laughs> uh, do you have a mom moment this week that you want to tell me?
1: I do. I do. So so this is it's a pretty big moment. It's a long time coming. Um, I have had five days in a row. With my son, Joey, with no accidents. Oh, my God. I think we may be potty trained. <gasps> it is. Oh, oh my goodness. He is, he is a little bit over three, which was longer than I wanted him to go without being potty trained. And we just, we ran into the issue that is so common where your kid just doesn't want to poop on the potty. He will wait until you put a diaper on him and then he'll poop. And we did, this was just like. Driving me crazy. And why is that? Do we know? I think it's just like I've read so much about it at this point that it's disgusting in all the ways that it can be disgusting. But <laughs> I I read a book called Oh Crap Potty Training, which is an excellent book. But you should read it before your kid is three. You should read it when your kid is like a year and a half. Mm, good to know. Um, so buy it; it's great. But it was too late for me to implement any of her things by the time I read it. So I think that what it is is that pooping and using the bathroom or, or like going pee or poop, is really primal. And when you're doing it in a diaper, it it feels very private because it's covered and nobody can see anything. But then all of a sudden you're expected to take your clothes off and sit on a toilet with someone who's sitting in there with you and urging you to, like, get the excrement out of your body. <laughs> That's true. When you say it like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just so – I tried – all the things that a person can try. And, you know, I was like, I'll give him privacy. I'll try a, I'll try a sticker chart. I'll try giving him M&Ms when he uses the potty properly. And like, it was like all the things I could try. And then finally one morning, I just, I don't know, because he felt like it. He went into the bathroom on his own, didn't tell me he was going in. And usually he's very needy about the potty. He's like, come sit with me. Come read me a book. But he just like walked in there on his own. And he came out and he was like, mommy, I put my poop in the body. And I was like, what? That's amazing. And he was like, yeah, I just did it. I was like, okay. Wow. And then that was, that was just it. So I, I sent a text to my husband to be like, he did it. Three poop emojis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his response was, your persistence is amazing. And I was like, yes, it is. Yes, that's the correct answer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I felt very, very good. It was more my, my achievement than Joey's, I think.
0: That's so funny. I guess it's true that like, they'll just do it when they're ready Mm -hmm. to do it. That's how it
1: happened for Emma. And Joe kept reminding me that, but I was like, no, we waited too long with Emma and it was miserable and I hated it. And I just, I just want Joey to get potty trained and be done with it. And I started him early and- it still took him just as long as it took Emma. (laughs) So I have one more chance to get it right. And either (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it the way that this woman suggests in her lovely book, or I'll just do what I did these last two times and just wait until they're three and a half and they feel like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you and I may be trying to potty train around the same time so we can give each other some moral support. That's true.
1: Oh my goodness. How exciting for us both. I'll be calling you for tips and tricks. <laughs> I don't know how helpful I'd be. And I, I pretty much, I, I mean, I feel like
0: I have failed up to this point in doing it properly. <laughs> no, I don't think there's such a thing as failing unless your kid is like going to college in diapers. That's so true. That's I think true. you're good.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. We just have to get rid of nighttime diapers now. So still have, a, still have a little bit to go. We'll see. There you go. So Diane, tell me your mom moment.
0: So, I mean, mine is not all that exciting, but I mean, I guess it was exciting for me. Um, I have this baby katon wrap mm-hmm. that I've been using quite a bit. It's, it's a little more lightweight, I think, than like the Boba wraps. And I've been using it a lot in the summer. I like it. And I've been wearing her in, I don't remember the name of the position, but it's, you know, it's like the newborn position mm-hmm. where they're close to your chest and they're facing you and their head is angled to the side and up. Mm-hmm. Uh, been wearing her like that for a long time, but she's gonna be five months in like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and she has really great head control. So, for the first time this week, I put her in their side carry position, which is sort <gasps> of like like the ring sling kind yeah. of position, you yeah. know. Um, and I, I needed to make lunch, and when she's when she's in front of me, it's kind of difficult to maneuver around uh, by the sink stuff, and also if she's not sleepy. Now that she's much more alert, she doesn't always like to be in that position. Mm-hmm. So I put her in the side carry and I was like, let's just see how she does. She loved it because mm-hmm. it's essentially like I'm holding her. Yeah. Except I just have like one arm around her and I can use my hand. Mm-hmm. So she absolutely loved it. She could look around the kitchen. She could like touch things and and she was having a ball. And so I'm hoping that that continues to be something that she likes because It's kind of a game changer for me when I need to make lunch or, you know, use my hands.
1: Absolutely. That's great. I'm so happy for you because the first time I did that, I was like, oh, God, everything's better.
0: Well, and I was really nervous about it because it just seems like a less supportive position, but Mm -hmm. she is able to hold her head up by herself and she's so alert now that she was just fine. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's getting old. I know.
1: Old lady. Old lady Reenie.
0: Oh. Uh, <laughs> so I guess it was more exciting than I let on. No, it's great. Yeah. All right. So should we should we dive into what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, I'm tell so me excited. all about your thing. I'm so excited to learn about this. All right. So when Jen first um, came to me about this podcast and I was just doing some initial research about things that might be interesting to talk about, I stumbled upon this topic that I had no idea existed. And it really sucked me in. And I kind of started research on it before we had even decided we were going to do an episode on this. So I'm really excited to share it with you. And I apologize if I'm scattered with a million pieces of information, because I'm just so jazzed. (laughs) So here we go. I'm actually going to start us with a quote that I think is going to set the tone before I even tell you what the topic is. I think it's going to set the scene. So Tourists strolling along the Coney Island boardwalk in the summertime, circa 1920, would have heard the barkers beckoning, don't forget to see the babies. Those that heeded the call, perhaps after enjoying a hot dog or a ride on the cyclone, paid a quarter and stepped into a room where the tiniest of infants, weighing just two or three pounds each, were on display in individual incubators. Madame Recht, their nurse, occasionally wowed the crowds with a special trick, placing her diamond ring around a baby's wrist. So we are doing <laughs> we are doing the incubator babies of Coney Island. How fascinating. <laughs> I'm really excited. I hope the audience finds this as exciting as I do. So that quote was from JSTOR Daily. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've used JSTOR since I was in grad school. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I just wanted to um, to let you guys know where that was from. It's from the beginning of the article. Uh, da, 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 da. Coney Island's incubator babies. Yes, you read that right. <laughs> <laughs> that is the name of the article. So I think before we get into the actual incubator babies of Coney Island, we should talk about the history of the incubator itself. Believe it or not, uh, before the late 1800s, early 1900s, babies who were born prematurely were just considered weaklings. And it was thought that they weren't going to survive. And that was for a reason. And if we let them survive, it could actually weaken the genome, which is getting into that whole eugenics thing that I, you know, just makes me yeah um yes, and this was not just in Europe. this was a popular opinion in the United States as well uh, mm-hmm. in hospitals that if babies were born prematurely and they couldn't survive on their own, there was a reason for that and there was just nothing we could do. yeah
1: I mean, well, if you think about sort of how we approach this idea within like animal husbandry, that's that's how they that's exactly how they see it. If you have yeah. like a
0: runt, they just let it. Die. (laughs) It's awful. It (laughs) is awful. And imagine that we did that with human babies too. I know.
1: Well, I mean, really, before a certain time period, I think human babies were still seen kind of as livestock. You know, like yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, and I mean, people had so many babies because they needed the babies or the children to go work and help support the family. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know, we were just sort of like producing a workforce. Oh my gosh. I know. Little babies. yeah
0: so uh unfortunately the first doctor to actually use an incubator was the french doctor i think i'm saying this right tarnier Mm -hmm. and it was not until the late 1800s so he actually witnessed an incubator being used for baby chickens in a paris zoo Mm. okay (laughs) and he thought hey this could work for humans of course why not so he was the first person to uh, to try to use an incubator and to sort of, I guess, try to construct one to use with with human children. But I have to warn you that this craze did not really catch on in hospitals uh, for a very long time. However, uh, another doctor, Dr. Pierre, and I'm assuming this is French, so I'm going to say Boudin. Okay. Uh, it's B-U-D-I-N. He... Took note of uh, Dr. Tarnier's incubators and he developed a successful incubator at the, let me, I've got lots of French words here, the Paris uh, Maternite, which I guess is the Paris, I'm assuming, maternity hospital. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he wanted to take the incubators that Tarnier had made and use them uh, more widely was because uh, in France they were experiencing a plummeting birth rate. Oh. And they were not uh, sure why. And so he figured, well, if I can get some of these babies that are, quote, weaklings or, you know, failure to thrive to live, that could help with this birth rate that we're having problems with. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dr. Boudin uh, ended up having a protege named Dr. Martin. And again, I hope I'm saying this right. hmm. C-O-U-N-E-Y? Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that name is. And we're going to get into why now as we dive into Dr. Cooney a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because that's not his real name. Oh, jeez. Uh, yes. He was born Martin Cohn okay. uh, in Germany. And the more we learn about Dr. Cooney the less we end up actually knowing. Because we have found that a lot of what he said um, was not true. He lied about his birthplace. He changed his name more than once throughout the course of his life. And uh, he may or may not have actually been a real doctor. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well,
1: I mean, the history of medical science is is rife with those. So. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And that's actually a really interesting story. If you want to learn more about that, I think there's an article, uh, I think it it may have been a PBS article that I found that was sort of um, taking a fine-toothed comb through Dr. Cooney's life history and what is true and what is not true. But Dr. Cooney supposedly was a protege of this Dr. Boudin, and Dr. Boudin sent Dr. Cooney to go see incubators that were being used at the World's Fair in, I believe it was in Germany, in 1896. Okay. So he sent him, he said, listen, you know, they have these incubators. I want you to go check them out, see how they work, see if this is something that we could use in neonatal medicine. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Cooney went to see the Kinderbrutenstalt. Ah which basically means child hatchery, uh, at the, uh, yes, it was the great industrial exposition at Berlin. So it was Germany. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Cooney went and saw these incubators and he decided, Hey, we can do this. Cooney took these, uh, newfangled incubators and he put live children in them. And he decided he was going to sort of take this show, uh, on the road, and uh, have these live children in these incubators, which was going to help the children, but was also going to educate the population at large about why it's important that we save these children in the long run. Okay. All right. So let's dive into Dr. Cooney a little bit more. Okay. He is the man behind the sideshow incubator babies. All right. Uh, Yes. He was known across (laughs) America as the incubator doctor. And today, although he died in relative obscurity, sadly, we believe that he changed the course of neonatal medicine, uh, because without him making these incubators public knowledge in his sideshows, it would never have caught on in a hospital setting. He was essentially taking babies that hospitals would not treat and putting them into these sideshows so that they could have a chance at survival. Huh.
1: It's so interesting. Is there an ethical gray area there? Like, was he doing it truly because he wanted to save all these babies, or was he
0: doing it to kind of like, like as a as a hustle? <laughs> well, and that's the that's the thing. I mean, his legacy is clouded in accusations of was he was he in the business of exploitation? Yeah, as a sideshow showman, or was he truly a medical professional with the best interests of these children at heart? Yeah. Oh man. This has, this has
1: like documentary written all over it.
0: I know (laughs) it might've been a little bit of both. I think Um, I do. I do want to say a couple of things about him that I think are important that I learned. Um, when he was doing these sideshows, he never took a penny of money from the parents of these children. Oh, good for him. Yes. He used the entrance fee for the sideshow to cover all of the expenses of caring for the babies. And I believe when he died, he died with not a lot of money left because Mm. he had spent so much money on this project. Okay. In that aspect, that's a wonderful thing that he did. Yeah. None of these parents had to shell out any money. And after a few months, hopefully, they were given a healthy child who would survive into adulthood.
1: That's great.
0: Yeah. My goodness. Um, He really... He pioneered this uh, study of neonatal medicine in America, and it's estimated that he rescued from hospitals and saved roughly 6,500 newborns between 1896 and 1943, some of whom are still alive today.
1: Oh, my word. This man is
0: a saint. Yes. (laughs) However, (laughs) I mean, he did um, possibly lie about his credentials as a medical professional. Yeah. Yeah. He also was setting up these sideshows uh, next to like freak shows and, yeah. and other strange shows and, and roller coasters uh, on in boardwalk towns mm-hmm. and world's fairs and, and things of that kind. Mm-hmm. So that could be seen as a little sketchy. Yeah. But in his defense, he said, this is the only place where I can get people to come in and look at the children. And if I can't get people to come in and look at the children, I'm not making any money to care for them. Yeah. Okay. So I get it. Yeah. In 1903, the cost of care per baby in one of his incubator facilities was $15 per day. Oh, my gosh. No, per baby, not per day. I'm sorry. Yeah, per, per no, baby, per, baby per, day, per day, right? Yeah, yes, that's yes, expensive. Yes, yes. So do you know how much that is in today's money? Do you want to take a guess? Um, In what year was it? This was 1903. <sighs> it's got to be a couple hundred dollars, right? It was roughly four hundred and five dollars per, wow. per baby. Wow,
1: per baby per day. And how many babies did he have at any one time?
0: You know that I actually don't know. Oh. but if you look at some of the pictures which I'll post, I mean, it looks like the the walls are just lined, yeah, with these incubators. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even if
1: it's only like you know, let's say it's only twenty babies, that's still you know thousands and
0: thousands of dollars a day. Uh Uh-huh. And so to think that he didn't take any money from the parents is crazy. So essentially what would happen is the parents would have their child in the hospital. And this is from one of the firsthand accounts of a woman who was still alive in 2016 when she did this interview. I don't Mm -hmm. know if she's still alive today. Um, But they would have these children in the hospital. The doctors would say, You know, maybe the baby was born at two pounds. Mm -hmm. The doctors would say, there's nothing we can do. This child is not going to survive. And they would have to check the baby out of the hospital and basically rush the baby to Dr. Cooney Mm -hmm. and he would stick them in the incubator. And he had a full team of nurses Mm -hmm. who would work around the clock, uh, wet nurses and regular nurses Mm -hmm. who would work around the clock feeding and caring for these babies, and making sure they had everything they needed. Because in a hospital, they did not have the staff. To yeah. Do because at times, I mean, they would have to be spoon feeding these babies breast milk. Um, they would have to be feeding them every two hours. And it just was not done in hospitals. Yeah. So <sighs> he did have a full team of, of nurses doing that. So let's get to just want to make sure I covered everything here. Oh, one last thing that makes him, I think, more of a saint. Mm -hmm. So he took babies of all backgrounds, all races, and all uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, So this was a very new concept for the time. He did not discriminate uh, against any child. Mm. If a baby came to him and there was room in the sideshow, (laughs) uh, he would take them and put them in an incubator. And they would stay there until they were healthy enough to go home or until I guess it said or until the show had to close for the season. I mean, I would assume that they would make sure the baby was going to live or send them to another facility because yeah. he had a few different ones. But I don't I don't know all the details with that. Um, but it seems as though he did care for most children until they they could go home and had a very high success rate of, of babies surviving.
1: Yeah. Do you know how many babies he lost? I believe it said he had an 85% success rate. Oh, wow. That's great. I wonder what our success rate is with babies who are born at two pounds now.
0: I don't know. I should look that up.
1: Yeah, because I feel like infant mortality is is low in America. I don't know what low is, but...
0: It is. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that and see if I can find that answer. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is adorable. Um, since he did have such a high success rate and he was so proud of these babies he would have like these little, um, I think he even called them like graduation ceremonies for his, his former incubator babies. He would have them come back the next year and he could like show off all of his babies that are now thriving and living, um, from the previous year's season.
1: Oh, wow. Which is cute. That's very cute.
0: Yeah. And, and very heartwarming. So as much as there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of questionable things around who he was and what his credentials were and maybe what his motives were. Yeah. The bottom line is what he was doing is something that nobody else was doing. And a lot of medical professionals actually were dissing him at the time. Yeah. <laughs> because they were in favor of things like eugenics and because they felt what he was doing was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and could possibly be having adverse effects on. The human population down the road, which we clearly know is not true. Mm-hmm. So even though he, uh, he was running this sideshow, I think what he was doing was extremely important to the way we take care of babies now. Yeah, And also he was educating the public on something that we didn't know. We thought these babies couldn't be saved. And he's saying, no, they can be saved. Yeah. So The first place he took his little sideshow was actually not Coney Island. He started Mm -hmm. out in Omaha. Okay. At the midway, right near the Wild West show. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So you could go to the Wild West show and then come out and you would hear the the guy standing on the street saying, like, come see the babies, you know? Oh
1: my goodness. Twenty-five
0: cents. Um, and, and it was in Omaha that he met the nurse, Annabelle Segner, Mm -hmm. who later became his wife. Oh, yes.
1: Romance in Omaha. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Uh, romance around the, the babies. And, uh, (laughs) and Anna, Annabelle, um, she sort of came in and saw what he was doing and said, this is great. This is a wonderful invention, but. We need to have better protocols and standards for cleanliness mm-hmm. and how the nurses are taking care of these children. Yeah. So she sort of swooped in and set up a lot of the procedures and policies that they used moving forward when they opened up in Coney Island, mm-hmm. um, making sure that the babies were being well cared for and that everything was was on a cleanly, cleanliness level of more of a hospital, even though it was a sideshow. Yes, of course. Goodness. Wow. After he was in Omaha and had some relative success, he opened his first Coney Island exhibit at Luna Park. Hmm. Which is one of the parks. I don't. If you're not familiar with Coney Island, there are different amusement parks within Coney Island, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Luna Park was one of the first ones that opened, but I might be wrong. And then he opened his second exhibit in Dreamland in Coney Island. Cool. Mm-hmm. And following those two successful exhibits, he opened another one in Atlantic City. Oh, yes. Nice. So. He was all over that uh, New York and, and New Jersey coastline. <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh! Uh, saving uh, babies left and right. Woohoo! Essentially, people would come, you know, for the summer vacation, and they would be going to the beach. They would be going to see all these freak shows and sideshows, and mm-hmm. uh, on top of that, they would pay twenty-five cents and go see the incubator babies. Oh my goodness!
1: Yeah. I feel like one of the one of the biggest services that he provided uh, other than saving babies' lives is that he gave people who were who were probably people with more disposable income, which is usually you know throughout history, white folks, and he mm-hmm. gave them an opportunity to see babies of different backgrounds as still babies, you know right. and like like to see them as like, Here's this helpless baby, and I'm gonna help them.' no matter what. And that's, that's special too.
0: It's pretty incredible, right?
1: Yeah. My goodness.
0: Yeah. I did find the statistic I was looking for that I couldn't find before. Mm -hmm. Um, up until the 1930s, very few hospitals had incubators. Okay. And he was really picking up steam in the 1920s. So okay. even in the 1930s, it was still relatively rare, but it was starting to catch on. Once he started to gain a lot of traction and he had he had a few of these sideshows open, the medical field started to sort of change their tune a little bit when he was clearly having success saving these children. And they would actually send babies to Cooney when they knew that the hospital wouldn't be able to care for them properly.
1: Hmm. It almost it almost doesn't matter if he was a doctor. <laughs> I know, right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, especially since he had like an actual medical staff taking care of the babies.
0: Yes, he did have real nurses. He had yeah. wet nurses um taking care of the babies. I, b- I actually believe I read somewhere that it's possible that he was more of like a like a technician. Mm-hmm. So he kind of knew the way the incubators should work mm-hmm. um on a technical level. Yeah. Um, I I read in, I think it was in the PBS article that I will put a link to in the show notes that when he immigrated to America on his first census form, he put down technician as his profession, but then a few years down the road on his next census, uh, eventually it changed to physician. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hmm. and you got to wonder
1: how that happened. Yeah. I wonder if he was just like, I mean, I've learned through osmosis. I'm a doctor now.
0: I mean, like, <laughs> he was doing what other doctors wouldn't do, so I yeah. feel like
1: honorary doctor?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: so so much of history was apprenticeships, really, before, mm-hmm. before people actually, like, got degrees and things, so, you know, I mean, exactly. he was probably more of a doctor than some of the doctors in, like, the 15, 16, and
0: 1700s. Oh, totally. Yeah, and it said he he immigrated to the U.S. in 1888 at 19 years old from mm-hmm. Germany. So there's really no way he had gone to medical school in Germany before he got here mm-hmm. because he was only 19. Yes. So, And I know medical school was different back then, but still, there's kind of no way. So yeah. they're fairly certain at this point that he was not a real doctor, but I don't think it matters. Yeah, yeah. So – Yeah, so if it were not for Dr. Cooney and his incubator baby sideshows, we would not have the neonatal care in hospitals that we have today as standard procedure.
1: Wow, way to go, Dr. Cooney.
0: Yeah, I think is really cool. Um, So I tried to keep this brief. There is so much great information on this online, Mm -hmm. and I want to give a shout out to a book that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I am actually going to recommend it to my book club as our next book. It's by Don Raffle, and it's called The Strange Case of Dr. Cooney, How a Mysterious European Showman Saved Thousands of American Babies. Excellent. So if you want to learn more, um, obviously you can go online, but I suggest maybe picking up a copy of that book because I bet you will get a lot of great information, and I can't wait to read it.
1: Mm, It sounds great. You'll have to let me know how it is, and maybe I'll pick it up. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will. Um, it's uh, apparently she's a novelist, but uh, this is a, a work of nonfiction that she decided to do. So she must have felt pretty strongly about it. It's great. Yeah. So cool. that is uh, the incubator babies of Coney Island. Thank you so much.
1: Mm-hmm. So yes, good. Pleasure.
0: Oh my gosh, I learned so much today. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It was it was so interesting, and and it's funny because I think I put in my Google search like crazy parenting history Mm -hmm. and it was one of the first things that popped up in google Mm -hmm. so i mean i then i just went down this rabbit hole yeah of who is this man and why was he doing what he was doing and oh my god he saved so many children
1: yeah and i i almost feel like i mean at first at first glance this is a really great like our parents did what but but really it's like thank god our parents did that yeah, thank God those parents and that
0: man did that. You know, good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah. It's truly fascinating, and it's we would not be where we are today without this this man with a very controversial history. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm.
1: cool, so cool. So you can find. All of the the fun information about today's episode uh, and some pictures and stuff over at our website, www.opdwpodcast.com. And we're on all the social media spots at OPDW Podcast. And uh, our music is by Diane's very excellent student, Theo. Thank you, Theo, for our music. We love it. And until next time. Not all sideshows are sleazy.